how sweep it is. The Nets beat the Knicks for a third and final time on Monday to complete the season sweep. Brooklyn is first in the East, but they will be without James Harden for a few weeks. Is there any concern with the Nets' big three not being on the floor together? Plus, we'll chat with a former Nets player and Kerry's assistant coach on those NBA Finals teams, Eddie Jordan. All that and more is next on Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Cherry Kittles. Give us a five-star rating, write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, would you? We appreciate your support as we take you through what has been a thrilling net season. Follow us on Twitter, at Robin Lundberg, at Kerry underscore Kittles 30. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, during the show as well. And former Nets assistant coach and player, Eddie Jordan, will join us later in the pod. But first, Kerry, I have to ask you, how's your hamstring? <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty flexible right now, actually. I've been working on it to do some yoga. Yeah, yoga. I mean, yoga is, is is about to be like after a nice yoga session. Don't you feel like kind of how a towel feels like after you've squeezed all the the water out of it or something? Yes, yes, nice and uh, elongated. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you need your you need your hamstrings elongated. Those pesky things because we we learned uh, yesterday about James Harden and he'll be reevaluated in ten days with a hamstring strain. Right as as Kevin Durant is expected to be back in the lineup and the the biggest thing about it is Carrie I don't know how much of a, a problem it actually is or is it just a bummer because the big three have only played seven games together and Katie's been out for so long and now as he's coming back Harden's gonna be out yeah it's it's a bummer I mean you like to see those guys get some more court time together before the postseason rolls around the more games the more familiarity they have with each other and and it just makes for an easier transition when it comes to money games, right, where everything really matters in the postseason. So we want to see them all in the lineup at the same time. However, it's definitely smart to be wise and and let this injury thing heal. We don't need any knick-knack injuries heading into the postseason. We want all three of these guys healthy, ready to roll. We try to figure out a way to be concerned with, with this team. And there's a couple things about, you know, what some people have said about the, the quality of this team I want to get to in a, in a bit. But, I mean, where's your on – on a scale of 1 to 10? What would be the, the level of concern about the lack of court time that those three guys have had together? One, maybe two. Not not much at all. I Really, I, as I said before, I think the style of playing today's game, these guys are veteran players. They're all-stars. They're so, they play so confident. When you watch them play and they have the ball in their hands, you just think something good is going to happen every time. So I'm not worried at all. I think they'll figure it out. They're very unselfish. They move the ball when they have to. They, Kyrie knows now that James has the ball. His primary role is just score buckets, right? KD is to pick and choose his spots, right? And to make sure you find an open guy when two guys come to you. They have it figured out. They'll be fine. And Harden, the orchestrator of a lot of that. Now, hamstrings, though, are tricky, right? I mean, we we saw Durant wasn't supposed to be out that long. He's been, I don't know how many weeks he's been out. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's been a minute, but it didn't matter because Harden is there. And I guess that's part of the luxury too, right? You can Harden can leave the lineup. They still want a game against the Knicks. KD could be out this whole time. Harden gets the MVP campaign going for him. But now Harden is going to be out and, and Durant steps back in. That That's the riches that they have. Is it the season? Is it the, the condensed season or is it just, you know, the way it is? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, is maybe the condensed season not having too much of an off season with, you know, the bubble and how it just led into a, a month and a half, two months off. It's also the style of play. Let, let's be honest, right? When you look at the numbers, look at their possessions and how much they've increased over the last five, 10 years, we're seeing now guys go in and out of lineups and that's including taking rest time, right? Across the league, you know, these injuries are happening to these main players, these main guys. MB was out for a while with the Sixers. Now you have AD and LeBron out, out west of the Lakers. It's it's becoming more common, right, where these knick-knack injuries are going to reoccur. And I think teams need to be much more wiser and conservative when it comes to this rest stuff. Well, yeah, the, the Nets tend to hold guys out, you know, for an extra period of time. And, of course, KD and Kyrie didn't even play in the, the bubble. KD coming back from the Achilles at the beginning of the year. It's just strange when you see with Harden, he's been so durable for the longest time. And I, I guess, it, you know, some of it's random because the LeBron injury was, you know, if Solomon Hill doesn't go underneath his leg, does he actually get hurt? So maybe we're just looking for, for stuff to, to blame um, and it, it chalk it up to the game. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of factors that come into play when guys are missing time. But, you know, I like how the Nets have this luxury, right? Not, m- not many teams are able to do that when you lose a main guy to bring in another, you know, former MVP and, and all-star, perennial all-star, dominant offensive player in, in Durant. So that's the, that's the luxury of the Nets and, and to keep things going, right? Now you have that lead in, in the conference, you know, half game over Philly, you want to maintain that down the stretch. You don't want to give that away, have that home court advantage with the expectations that the fans are going to be back in the arena come postseason and you have more of a crowd advantage. So that plays into our hands, having these superstar players all on one team. And then now you bring in Blake and Aldridge and you find ways for those guys to fit in, right? Whether it's finding, giving them more opportunities, more touches. Yeah, I mean, and that's where the depth comes in as well. I mean, with the emergence of Nick Claxton, I saw some crazy numbers about how good they've been defensively when he's been on on the court and, and how much he's switching. He's switching more than like any player in the league right now. And they've been basically the best defense in the NBA when he's been on the court. I don't think we've talked about LaMarcus Aldridge actually on the court though as well. And, and we, we discussed the, the signing. To me, what I've seen so far, one, you're, you're getting a motivated player just like you got with Blake Griffin in the new scenery. And two, he's a different style player than the, the Nets have. And it gives them a different look, right? They didn't have somebody you could just dump the ball to on the block who could get the double team and kick out of the double team or, or get his own shot. It starts to get hilarious, the level of options that you have, but he is a different style of punch than they, they had. Yeah, correct. And when you look at the bigs the last couple of years, Allen and, and Jordan and now Claxton, Aldridge is totally different, right? He's a pick-and-pop guy at times. He's a face-up ISO guy at times. And when he's in his sweet spot, you know, it's a bucket. I mean, no, he's not the same guy he was six years ago, but you got to watch out for him. You know, he's posting up smalls, and he's very savvy down there. He knows how to get to his spots, and he has that Rashid Wallace high release. If you're not in his space, you know, it's you can count it. So love to see him get more touches, get a little bit more of a rhythm. And, you know, he's been around the block before. He's a very competitive player. And now he's another big who can play against Giannis, another big who can play against Brooke Lopez or Joel Embiid. And that's a threat the Nets haven't had in a while. And I'm I'm super excited. When, I, when it, that signing happened, I was probably more excited about that signing than I was 
was Blake Griffin. Well, you know, and I was worried about the minutes a little bit, but I, I trust the Nets. They're smart. And and thus far, that, that has paid off because DeAndre Jordan, you know, basically Aldridge replaced him and they kept the rotation more or less the same outside of that. And, you know, I, I like DeAndre. He seems like a good dude. He's had a good NBA career. But to me, he was the glaring weak link on the team. Yeah, he, he had his moments where he didn't play well, and he'll get some opportunities to play. It's not like you're going to bury him in the bench now that Aldridge is there. But you're right, Claxton and what he's able to do. His lateral movement for a 6'11 guy and how he can switch with his length. He's going to finish everything around the basket. I like the front court now. I mean, I was that was one concern that I had early on was, man, they're, they're very thin up front, especially after the Allen trade. And now you're seeing with this depth now, they have some options. And people are salty about it, of course. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, you know, because I saw there's been various columns about what a championship would mean or uh, that the first New York drought championship being broken, or, you know, the, the championship drought being broken shouldn't be the Brooklyn Nets. When you're a fan, you should just not care about any of that stuff. And it, it should actually amuse you, right? It should be like um, Cartman l- licking the tears off Scott Tennerman's face. You know, oh, the, the, it's the, the sweet tears of unfathomable sadness that taste delicious. Uh, but what do you make of that idea that, you know, the Nets championship won't count the same because their their team is so super duper stacked? Yeah, you, you say that now, but I, I think the Nets are able to pull that off come the summertime. I, I think all New York sports fans will be super ecstatic, right? I think you're going to have your Knicks diehard. They're not going to be happy with anyone else but the Knicks' success. They can't. Their blinders are on, and they don't, they don't care what's happening over in Brooklyn. But I think if you're in the New York City area, you know, Jersey folks, especially your old-time Nets fans, you're going to embrace whatever the Nets are able to do. And and listen, this is once in a lifetime for us to be able to sit here and watch this caliber team come together and now have have a chance of having a championship run, I'm all in. Well, we picked a good year to launch a Brooklyn Nets podcast, the one year they might win a title for the first time. How about the Nets being so good that they make children cry, where Monday night... They made Julius Randle's son cry, and he said, I hate the Nets. I mean, that's how good they are. Yeah, and he said, I hate the Brooklyn Nets. And then whoever it was, was his mom or somebody was talking off camera, was, was saying, who, who do you hate? And, and I hate those. <laughs> and then they show a picture of them at, at Barclays. But that's how a lot of people feel, right? I mean, if you root for the team, it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun when, when everybody hates them to that degree. Because there's like a passion emerging. Uh, there's a, a vitriol surrounding how, how the, the Nets ha- have been portrayed, so on and so forth. But, you know, you win and you just flip everybody off and, and, and be like, all right, cool. <laughs> what do you got to say easy. now? If you live in the New York City area, it's easy. Just... Just take your, your Knicks jersey, put it to the side. Go get a Nets jersey, right? Just to take a train to Brooklyn instead of going in the garden. What's the difference? It's I'm like rare where, where I do that. Like, people criticize me and, you know, the, the ambulance coming after me for doing this is that I, I root for the Nets. I, I think it's fun. I don't consider them rivals, maybe because the Nets have kind of been that little brother, but now it's fun that they're good, and I want them to win a championship. I think that brings more of a competitive nature that you get this, and it happened again with Julius Randle calling out Timote Luau Cabarro where he said, I don't really know what his problem is. He's not a guy on the court that I'm really worried about when I'm playing. He tried to give me a little forearm or whatever, whatever, so I slapped his arm off me. It's getting feisty between these two teams, and I didn't think it's been like this since maybe the Knicks Nets played each other in the playoffs in, what was it, 2004? So it's been a while since both teams have been on the map, so I think this is great for uh, not just the NBA, but great for New York. Well, look, I, I want New York basketball to succeed, but when you're talking about on the map, you know, one of them is is like, you know, the equator, and the other one's Antarctica, <laughs> or something like that, when, when it's relative on 
on the map because it's two totally different level teams. And, and and I think that's part of the reason maybe that the, the loss would have stung a little bit for Knicks fans where Kyrie Irving is the lone guy out on the on the court and the Nets still were able to get that win. And, and you know, Kerry, if I were to ask you, your life is on the line. Uh, finger gun to your head. Of all the, the Nets players, you need one guy to make a shot. And and we, we know that, you know, it's not always, you know, the whole last shot thing is overrated or who's getting the shots in the final minutes. Everybody's going to get their opportunity. But we're in a scenario where it's one possession and your life's on the line. One Brooklyn Nets player gets the ball to make a shot. Who you taking? Kevin Durant. I mean, there shouldn't be any doubt about that. I, I, I think those other two superstars would know that as well. They know that they're both great scorers, and they have confidence if, if the ball is in their hands and, and that situation calls for it. You know, they're confident to take the shot and make it. However, they understand that Durant scores at a different level. He, it's just too easy. Once he gets to a spot, you can't contest it. And as I love Kyrie, he can create his space on most shots, but Durant, he's in the league by himself, as far as I'm concerned. In today's game, we haven't seen anything like it. We haven't seen a seven-foot guard with the way he can dribble the ball and get to where he has to get to. And when he pulls up, there's no one near the ball, ever. I'm taking Kyrie. Uh, You know, look, I I think Kyrie, it's funny because Kyrie is third in the pecking order of those three guys overall. Because, you know, as brilliant as he is, the, the reason I say that is he doesn't elevate teams or he hasn't historically elevated teams by his own presence or his his sole presence. But when it comes to just what he's best at, creating space, as you mentioned, and, and getting buckets, he gets that ball on the right wing, that, that sweet spot on the floor. I've never seen anybody create like he does. And, and if you're telling me who I want taking those final shots, it's actually Kyrie. It's, 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 you, you're almost splitting hairs, but I would just tell you that Durant is the guy. I mean, I, I love Kyrie. I mean, this year, I've, I watched the kid a lot. I mean, and I know he's a dynamic scorer, and he's got a lot of stuff in his bag. I mean, I had, the only other pack I think of that has that much skill with the ball is Kobe Bryant. That's it. Those are the two. They're, they're the only two as far as skill, you know, second moves, counter moves, step backs. I mean, sh- I mean, he shot a left-hand floater the other day from inside the foul line. That was like, that was Kobe S. So, but Durant, is just, it's just too easy. Kyrie's kind of like Kobe meets Iverson. Somewhere in there a little bit, right? Yeah, he's definitely a mix between the two with his speed, his combo moves, change of pace, and the pull-ups. I mean, the pull-ups off the dribble, contested shots that just go in consistently. Most guys just can't make them at that level. Yeah, I mean, he's just – I mean, it's, un, it's, unre- it's unreal. We can keep talking about these guys on a weekly basis, right? Like, oh, well, uh, you know, if it's this – particular scenario in the game <laughs> if you need to create uh, a shot for others it's James Harden if you need a pull up for three it's Kevin Durant if you, you need you know a, a, a wizardry layup it, it's Kyrie Irving it, it almost gets impossible to to even fathom the, the level of talent they got let's also give the coaches credit right remember those guys can't do what they do if the court is crowded so they're able to give these guys the ball and put them in the right positions to give them space to do what they do. And now you have these role players that know where to go. They know how to feed off those. Harris is always in the right spot. He just scored 28 points the other night. I mean, so they always know where to go. And these guys now, they've figured out the system, the D'Antone Nash system, what worked in Phoenix, what worked when he was in Houston. And now you're seeing the fruits of that. You're seeing these guys embrace these roles and you're seeing the dominant players do what they do. It's really hard to stop them. Yeah, James 
Harden, guys, I'm curious when, when he does come back. Do you think the Nets will take it slow here? Now, listen, there's only 21 games left. Do they take it slow with him so he's just refreshed for the playoff run? Or do you want to see more games of the big three potentially together? Even with KD, you know, he's, he's probably back this week, but is it smarter to just wait or do you want to see him more with Kyrie how do you think the Nets work this rotation with injuries here well you know I, I do want to see the guys together I, I know Kerry you're, you're not very concerned about it about it but obviously you you want to be rolling going into the playoffs the good thing for the Nets is the first round series whoever they play it's like that that's a warm-up it, it doesn't matter uh and, and that could be a little bit of a, a trial and error for them as well but we, we saw them earlier in the year with, with Katie and Kyrie we, we know what they're capable of and how potent they can be but I, I do think Harden took him to another level, right? Like he felt like a luxury. He became a necessity. He did something specifically different than those two guys. So I I do think you you want to to get that Death Star fully powered up before you know the, the playoffs come around. So it's walking that tightrope. It's the same thing the Lakers are going through right now. Now I, I think the the injury is a little bit more significant, um, perhaps to those guys versus a hamstring which is is like a it, it's finicky if you will but I, I think you, you got to take your time and you want them to be 100 percent. but I, I don't think it's it's great if these guys aren't on the floor together but before the playoffs start no it's, it's not great they definitely have to get some time together for sure but if you think about when when Harden first came over and they were really trying to integrate him into their system he didn't know what his role was really going to be the first couple of games, they were so explosive offensively. Those numbers were crazy. And it was really just their defense at that time was just, they had no clue what to do defensively as far as the switching and, and how are we going to do things. And that's what really made them struggle in some of those games. But the offense, oh, they got that thing figured out. They know now Harden has seen the system. They've, they've watched enough tape. And so I, I really do think that a few games before the playoffs, as long as that hamstring is healthy when the postseason starts, that's all I care about. James Harden is, is not going to be out for the length of time that Kevin Durant was out for, right? Like they, they went back and looked at the scan and, and, and Kevin Durant had a more serious hamstring injury. Harden had some tightness. He just got the MRI hamstring strain. I'm guessing it's probably a two week sort of thing with him, but we have to figure out, you know, like uh, Jake, you've mentioned this before. We, we've got to figure out something to be concerned about. With the yeah. I mean, we need storylines <laughs> on this show. Listen, I'm producing the show. I got to figure out what the heck we're going to talk about. Well, this week we do have the nets are losing a member of their family, but Robin Lumberg, you are gaining a member of your family. Now, if you're hearing this Wednesday, you know, we hope, the child is delivered, and you have a child. Your third child, correct? Yes, it is my third child, and I do hope it is delivered. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we hope all, all of it goes well. Now, will you be raising them a Brooklyn Nets fan? I assume. Well, yes, uh, I've been telling my son Raj, and and my daughter is Ronnie, and she's been watching too. I mean, I'm, I'm, she likes to say buckets when, when uh, you know baskets are made. But I, I've been telling Raj, like, dude, the Nets are so good; it's it's kind of unfair, and <laughs> he he likes that premise because of you know watching superhero movies. And the like, but yes, of course, I, I I've been uh, prepping them for Brooklyn Nets fandom for a while now. They've been to a they've been to a Nets game. So you're forming your own Avengers in the in the Lundberg family here. How old are your your other two kids? Raj is six, and Ronnie is four. Wow, Kerry knows a thing or two. He's got five floating around the house. Scary hours coming up when you have three, man. <laughs> Scary hours. Is it that much of a difference? 
Well, yeah, because then she's she's with the baby and you have two now. Yeah. So before you had one, it was one on one. So now you're playing zone. We got a big three in the Lundberg household now. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> Good luck with that. You saw what happened when the Zags went to zone last night, right? So. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the national championship game, I, I just think Baylor had more athletes than I mean, I, just like I'm sure the Kittles, you know, kids are probably going to be a little bit more athletic than the Lundberg kids or are. Well, the third kid begin with an R. Are you going to complete the the trio of R's? Well, for a boy, most likely. For a girl, probably not, given the names that are, are on the table right now. But you'll you'll find out. So it's like a mock draft. It's like Mel Kuyper putting up names. Robin's got names of uh, the third and final child here. Hey, you know, the, the first one was the um easy. Raj was easy because my wife is uh, Guyanese and that's of Indian descent, right? So she wanted um, some, you know, note to her heritage or a nod to her heritage. And Raj is a simple, you know, powerful name. Ronnie was more difficult. And we, we went over that for a while. And ultimately, I decided on, on, on Ronnie. I, I was a little worried, I guess, that like the American interpretation would be R-O-N-N-I-E and think, you know, the, the boy's name, Ronnie. So we gave her her middle name is Juliet in case she wanted to change it, but she fits perfect as a, a, a Ronnie and Raj and Ronnie go together. The third one, a little bit more challenging, but wifey pretty set on the, the two names. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to fall back. There you go. Smart man. Smart man. No middle name of Carrie, Jason, McCullough, uh, Eddie, nothing like that. No, no, well, Raj doesn't have a middle name because I we couldn't think of one. I figured, you know, why should he have to fill out that, that space on forms if he doesn't have to? Oh, there you go. Smart man. <laughs> Safe right. delivery, man. Safe delivery. I appreciate it, guys. And that's upcoming schedule. They'll deliver, we expect. <laughs> like Jake said, I hope you hope it's delivered. <laughs> they got the Pelicans tonight. Who knows in this pandemic? You just got to play it safe, you know, throw an extra couple words. Kevin Durant, probable for that one. The Lakers on Saturday at the Timberwolves on Monday and at the Sixers on Wednesday. Coming up, we'll talk to Eddie Jordan, Nets assistant coach from 1999 through 2003, 1982 Lakers NBA champion, and he did play for the New Jersey Nets back in the day, 1977 through 1980. We're joined now by former NBA player, longtime coach, including an assistant for the New Jersey Nets when Kerry Kittles was there. It's Eddie Jordan. Now, Eddie, um, you know, when, when you're having a coaching career like you did for, for so many years, Sacramento, the, the, the Nets, Washington, uh, Philadelphia, how great would it have been if you had a team like the Brooklyn Nets have right now? Well, we had a pretty good whip ourselves back in the day with Kerry and Jason and Kenya Martin and Lucius Harris and Richard Jefferson. We had a pretty good whip, so we did pretty good. But, you know, it's fortunate that the Nets could come up with, you know, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. That's a pretty good addition halfway through the season. Now, they have to work that out. We had training camp together. We had a couple of seasons together, so we had it going. We knew how to how to defend. We knew our system and on offense. So it was a lot more fun when everybody's on the same page for a couple of years. When you're watching the Nets this year, I don't know how much you got a chance to see them play, but what has impressed you the most when you watch this team? Obviously, as you mentioned, a bunch of new guys coming in together as the season has already started. What has impressed you most about what they've been able to what do? What impresses me is the isolation of the individual play. Kyrie breaking the guy down with his dribble is one-on-one. They know how to find the guy. Like, they'll find Durant on his spot when he's off the ball. He'll catch. They know where he likes the ball. Sometimes he'll bring the ball up, start the possession, and get into his own one-on-one. So there's a lot of that. But now they have to incorporate Blake and LaMarcus because they don't have the ball. They don't start their offense with the ball. Like, 
Harden and Durant and Kyrie. So now they've got to find those guys off the ball, on the block, sometimes pick and pop. So those two guys have to be ingrained in the offense along with those other three major scorers who can start the offense and play with the ball without having to make a pass or having to make a catch. Blake is a guy who can probably bring the ball up and get into his one-on-one. So that's what impresses me is so far, those guys are giving each other space. They're being patient with one another. Harden is a special, all three of them are very, very special players. Harden, Durant, and Kyrie, very special. So yeah, it's going to be interesting how everyone else fits. When you're looking at at the coach, you, you've coached for a long time, obviously in the NBA and college, and you look at the job that that, that Steve Nash has done as a first year coach with with D'Antoni and the rest of his staff. What are your impressions on on their adjustments, finding playing time, keeping everybody happy, you know, finding the right mixture of guys on the court at the same time to, to complement those three superstars? What, what's your take on on Coach Nash and his staff? I think it's a perfect fit, Terry. I really do. Steve is just going to be he's just going to get better. Those guys respect him. They know that he has been pretty much to the mountaintop, you know, directing different teams. You know, it was interesting to coach Steve with the Lakers when we had Dwight and Kobe and Steve and Meta and Powell. And I was with them that one year. So it was, you know, he's a, he's a special guy. He's a special basketball mind. You know, they got his respect, and he has their respect, I should say. And how much of that comes from his playing days? You're saying that he walked in the door with that kind of respect? Yeah, you always get with his career and his resume. He walks in the door with that respect. But I'm telling you what, he has to earn from there. You can't walk in the door and not know you know, how to do things. You have to be consistent. They have to see that you're working at it. And he's got a good staff, too. I mean, the staff is helping Steve, I'm pretty sure. But Steve, I like his demeanor on the sidelines. I think uh, he's got the right personality to coach these types of special players. So I think it's a perfect fit all the way around. I really do. Now, I, I talked at the, the top about how good this team is. But you were right to point out, you know, when, when you were coaching with the Nets as an assistant, very good team then as well. And, and the fans are excited about this one. But they always like to reminisce about that squad. What was the the most difficult thing about coaching Kerry Kittles? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's a funny question. Kerry had the eyes where he would you would think that he's like off in space, but he is focused. He knows, you know, how to run the offense. He knows where to get his shot. He knows the defensive system that we had. He knew how to defend off the ball, play the passing lane. He would always be ready to run out in lanes. And Jason obviously kid was the best at running the break. But Kerry would be on an island. But we knew, sometimes I say on the island, because four guys could be huddled and Kerry could be walking on the other side of the court. But we knew where he was. We knew he was focused. We knew he was ready for a big shot to take it and to make it. So we always relied on him, even though sometimes we would say, you know, Kerry's in Kerry's deal, but, you know, he's on the court and we need him. And he delivered. Eddie, uh, we talk with Kerry a lot about the decision by Byron Scott to pull Kerry in game six in San Antonio, the NBA Finals. You were on the sideline. Take us through that decision. Did you agree with it or disagree with it? I have to remember that. Is that, which game was that? Because we won game two. Game six, right? It was the final game of the series, right, Kerry? In in San Antonio. Um, Yeah, well, you know, Byron must have had his own ideas. You know, Byron, was he he was tough. He was a tough coach. He was tough on the players. He was defensive-minded. And Byron had been to the mountaintop a few times as a player. He had played with the greatest. He had played with Hall of Famers. So Byron had a real good feel of what to do, who to, who to play. Sometimes he would push the envelope really, really far. 
for the guys to, you know, step up and be better. And that was a great quality of Byron. He, he would push it and he would challenge the guys to be tougher, to play harder, to hang in there and, you know, win a championship because that's what he was. He was championship bred. So I, I don't know exactly what went through his mind at the time. And I don't know who he put in. I don't know if he put in Lucius or he played Richard Jefferson at guard. I can't remember the exact thing that happened there. But Kerry's made some big shots for us. So if it was a close game, I probably would have left Kerry in there for us. Hey, Coach, you, you talk a lot about, you know, your your past days as a, as a player and as a coach. And I, I want to take you back to – take us back to your days in Sacramento. You spent a year or so with, with Coach Carrillo with the Princeton offense, and you saw that play out in Sacramento with Weber and Bibby and those guys and, and Vlade Divac, and that was a very successful system. And then you look at the evolution of that play, right, where you took the center – primarily uh, being the playmaker, right? Back then it was low post. Then when we played and you coached me with the Nets, that center went to the mid post and we played off that center there. Now you're seeing the center at the top of the key who most every team, right? The five guys is at the top running the offense, initiating the offense, the dribble handoffs and stuff like that. What's your thoughts on the evolution of how the game is now being played around the three-point line? Well, I, you know what, Kerry, it's interesting because we were playing four out, one end, and then when we moved the center to the high post or to the, to the elbow, we were five out. And we played dribble handoffs like they're playing now. We played with pick and rolls you know, cut. And obviously we were post up times because Kenyon has good, a good post game. And Jason, Jason Collins was a very good playmaker from the center spot. But if our centers were pick and pop and shoot threes, obviously we'd have played more high post, but we didn't have that sort of skill set from our centers. So Jason Collins and, and we even had Dikembe one year. So it was, I love to see the evolution of it. It's it's good to see that I think our team and the way we did things has an effect on the game even now. We move the ball a lot more than what they're doing now. It's a lot more dribble, 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 and pick and pop and pick and roll uh, and maybe some dribble handoffs, which we did. But when we did it, Kerry, some people were saying, you know, why do you have your four man out there by the three? Uh, why is your four man on the perimeter? We opened the floor up, and that's how – the game is that's how the game is now eddie i mean i want to go back to your playing career because we, we usually don't have a guest on the full court on flatbush podcast that got to play alongside kareem abdul jabbar and magic johnson together dr j's on the nets he leaves you go to the nets those you know late 70s nets teams were not very good but then you go to the lakers 82 win a title can you just take us through playing with two of the greats to ever do it and you know looking back on it now just how special uh those lakers teams were oh it was very special i mean really really special when i played for the Nets, uh, the nets had just come into the nba from the aba the year prior that i got there uh, in 77 interesting we were pretty bad the first couple of years then we made the playoffs we made the playoffs we lost to philly uh in the first round back then it was a mini series three games best out of three so you know, we had a hard time scoring. We had Bernard King, Super John Williamson was good one-on-one, -on -one, but we didn't have very good shooters, right? So this is the funniest thing I've ever, I can ever recall, is we were probably last in field goal percentage with the Nets. I got faded to the Lakers, and my first game, we're playing up and down, up and down. We didn't see, and then all of a sudden, Coach Westhead put up his fist up, fist up, and that was Kareem's post up. So that was the first time I saw Kareem on the same team, on the same bench. We threw the ball into Kareem. And he threw his sky hook, and I was so amazed. It was the prettiest thing I've ever seen and the easiest shot I've ever seen. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, beyond incredible to see someone 
to to make a shot so easily after being with the Nets for two years, who couldn't make a shot, we couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from the sand, and to see that firsthand up close, it was truly mind blowing. And obviously, I saw it for the next three or four years, and it was wonderful to play with Magic and Jamal Wilkes and Kareem, James Worthy, uh, Norm Nixon, Michael Cooper. I mean, Bob McAdoo. Stop it! I mean, stop it, it. it was it was it was a, a great team. That's that's like the super team of the '80s, right there. You're listening yeah, to all right. of everyone's complaining now about these super teams. They were doing it since the '80s. All right, yeah. How do you think of Bill Russell and them run 11 rings? You know, even back then, they had all the talent on one team. Uh, you know, but Eddie, when you, you go through your entire career and, and you just list off all those players you played with, and then in your, your coaching career, you went against Shaq and, and Kobe in the, the finals and, and Tim Duncan. Uh, you were there, you know, coaching during the Michael Jordan years. You went against LeBron with the Wizards in that, that you know, Cavs-Wizards rivalry as a coach. Who is the, the most impressive player you've ever seen? Kareem. Kareem was the most impressive. As far as being a player, Kareem was most impressive as a player and as a coach. LeBron was special. You know, he got away with a lot of traveling, but, you know, we won't talk about that too much. <laughs> I think it was called crab uh, dribbles, right? Yeah. I got crab dribbles. You know, Jason Kidd was special. Kobe Bryant coaching him was awesome. I mean, these are Hall of Famers. I mean, even coaching, I mean, Gilbert Arenas was a, a, an assassin on the floor. He averaged 30 points a game. I mean, we had, we had three All-Stars in Karan Butler, Antoine Jameson, and Gilbert. And before we got Karan, we had Larry Hughes and Gilbert. So we couldn't beat the Nets when I came from the Nets to the Wizards because those guys knew our plays. I would call forwards out or slash or, or basic or whatever. Kerry knew where to go. Uh, Jason knew how to defend it. All those guys, Richard knew how to defend it. So it was hard beating the Nets, man, those first couple of years. I'll tell you what, Coach, I, I, looking back on that Nets team, is one thing that I regret is that I didn't play more on the court with Jason and Lucius. Because I, I just, looking back now, especially when you see today's game with the shooting, imagine imagine myself and Lucius out there as shooters alongside Jason, Richard, and King. And that, that's starting five. That was a great, that's a great point, though, Kerry, because people were so stuck into four-man, power forward, small forward, two, uh, one guard, two guard. In the offense, if we would have kept being together, it was just four. It was two guards, two forwards, and a center. That's how we looked at it. So, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't play a little smaller back then. But, again, it was such ingrained in, in people's minds that you had to have a power forward and a small forward on the floor to be successful. Yeah, Kerry, yeah. you and Lucius and Jason draining threes. It would have just been – I mean, the PA announcer at the Swamps was so fun when he would call a three uh, <laughs> that you, you guys three together would have been, uh, you know, the, the three-point shootout going on. That's right. That's right. And so, Coach, you look at today, today's Nets team, right, and how they're constructed, even though it's been constructed midseason almost, is this a championship or a bust season for the Nets? Do they have everything that it takes now with the addition of Blake Griffin and Aldridge? Do they have what it takes? If, if they're healthy, should they win it all? I don't know if they should. They have a great chance at it because at the end of the day, I know the defense is important. But no one wins zero zero. You got to outscore the other guy, and that team is capable of outscoring. I don't see, I don't see a team that has the defensive system that can stop all of those guys. Now, again, I, I haven't looked at every single game. I know Utah is very good in the West. Uh, the Lakers have changed in their personnel, so that championship like medal is maybe a little bit cracked. I'm not again. I'm just speculating. But I look at the Nets, and I mean Philly has got it. Philly has a good team. They have, but again, who's going to guard those those guys? Those guys can break you down and score. And if 
if Harden can get 50 one night, uh, Durant can get 50 one night, Kyrie got 40 the other night or last night. I mean, those guys are hard to stop. And if they just keep pushing the, the pushing the envelope on, on the offensive end, and yeah, maybe they don't have all the greatest defensive players, but they can outscore you, man. I mean, they can outscore you. That's what the game is. Well, Coach, we really appreciate your insight and, and your time today. Obviously, you had a, a great career, as we, we mentioned before, both as a player and as a, a coach, Sacramento, New Jersey, head coach with, with Washington and a stint with Philly. Eddie Jordan, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I was at the right place. I was in the right place at the right time. I had great players, and I had a lot of people that helped me along the way. Good, great coaches. So, yes, I, I, I really enjoyed my career, and I'm glad I could stay in touch with Kerry. And one day we're going to play golf, Kerry. I look one forward day. to that, Coach. Thanks a lot for your time. Okay. I really appreciate it. All right. All right, guys. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That says sayonara to episode 16, the Bob Carrington edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. And subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush wherever you get podcasts. But give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lubberg. We're back next Wednesday. Stay safe and stay healthy. And thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Let's go Nets!